Friends, once again, good morning. Welcome to White Rock United Methodist Church. We are indeed excited to be um, in this worship series with you. My name's Mitchell. I am the senior pastor here. And if you've just kind of stumbled upon our online feed, we are uh, we're really glad that you found us. And you can find everything you need at wrumc.org slash online. Um, and we would really, if you're a guest, once again, we'd really encourage you to fill out a guest card uh, one of the pastoral staff would love to connect with you, to share with you all the amazing things that are indeed happening here. And the good news is that if you are uh, just now joining us, you've picked a fantastic Sunday to be present. We are in the middle of a worship series entitled Earn, Save, and Give. It is a series focused on the relationship between money and happiness, and indeed those two things are connected. We are taking a Wesleyan approach. We talked about John Wesley last week, the founder of Methodism, an Anglican priest who served in England in the 18th century. We believe that he had a lot to say about money. He indeed did. You can go read that for yourself if you want to read through the hundreds of sermons that he preached. Um, but he also had real practical advice, and that practical advice looked like earning and saving and then ultimately giving. And so we as a people, as United Methodists, we're kind of striving after that. And this Sunday, we are, um, we're focused on saving, what that looks like for us to faithfully save money. I think it is uh, both the, the, the hardest and the most um, beneficial aspect of this series, um, because saving money is as much a spiritual issue as it is anything else. And so uh, we're going to explore that together today. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts, be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. May our hearts find contentment. And may we trust that joy and happiness is rooted and grounded in the good news of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So, I'm naturally kind of a restless person. I don't like to stay in one place for too long. My freshman year of college, I got the itch to kind of go travel abroad and spend a semester studying abroad. And so my sophomore year, I began applying to different programs. And then eventually, I got accepted into a program. And um, during the spring semester of my junior year, I packed my bags and I headed uh, to England to study at uh, the University of Oxford. And uh, let's just say this, uh, it's not because I'm brilliant. Um, I, was, uh, I was really unprepared academically uh, for that endeavor. See, um, at Oxford, there are no classes. Um, you have one-on-one -on -one instruction, and the coursework is really simple. Every week, you just write a paper. And so that's what I did. I would write these papers, and I would submit them to my professors uh, 48 hours in advance. And then uh, two days later, I would show up in their office, and we would go through my paper together. Uh, intimidating, um, because on the desk was my paper, and I could see all the notes and the red marks and the lines that were through uh, each, each of my papers that I submitted to my professors. And um, what was very clear early on was that I, uh, 
I was not a good enough writer for Oxford, right? Uh, my writing simply, it wasn't good enough. And so, not only was I learning about all sorts of things that weren't available to me at uh, Hendrix, but I also learned uh, to write. And that process wasn't just a matter of learning how to write. I actually had to unlearn bad habits first, right? I had to unlearn all the things that I had thought I uh, knew and were applying correctly. Um, I had to unlearn those bad habits to then learn how to write well, which takes way more time than just learning to write well the first time. And so, Mom, I am sorry. My mom's an English teacher. I'm sorry that I did not listen to you enough in high school, right? In fact, uh, this whole series is rooted, I think, in this theme, this theme of gaining good habits around how we uh, spend our money, how we save our money, how we give our money right. Uh, And the truth is, um, we can learn a whole lot about our spiritual health um, by the way that we look or view our finances. And, and if you're like me, there are some habits that we have to unlearn if we are actually going to take the gospel of Jesus Christ seriously in all facets of our life. And so today, I think because we all know this, um, the more we spend, right, the less we can save. That makes sense. And so this portion or, uh, or this notion of saving money is extremely important if we're going to be able to give as much as we can. John Wesley actually noticed this trend. Uh, you know, last week I asked, what, what, what can a priest in the 18th century teach us, modern-day people, about finances? And there's actually a lot. Um, John Wesley noticed that in England in the 1700s, more folks were making more money, which is a good thing, um, but they weren't saving more, right? Folks were making more money, but they weren't saving more money. And he doesn't really hold back in his sermon entitled On the Use of Money, where this theme, Earn, Save, Give, get, we get our title for this worship series. Um, this is what he says. Do not waste any part of so precious a talent merely in gratifying the desire of the eye by superfluous or expensive apparel or by needless ornaments. Waste no part of it in curiously adorning your houses or on expensive furniture, or on costly pictures, or painting, or gilding, or books, and elegant rather than useful gardens. (laughs) Folks must have had a problem with buying fancy furniture, and paintings, and books, and apparently gardens were also an issue, right? Um, While the stuff may have changed, although I've seen um, some of the front yards around Casa Linda, right? While, while the stuff may have changed, the truth of what John Wesley was getting at has not changed. Wesley still speaks to us today and allows us to do, I think, what we, um, 
we all need to do at some point, which is unlearn bad habits around money. Because before we can take a spiritual and faithful path or journey uh, with our money, we have to know what the problem is. And here it is, as plain as I can make it, right? We spend too much money on ourselves. We spend too much money on ourselves. And when I say we, I mean we. I'm guilty of this as well, right? I spend too much money on myself. We spend between 92 and 94% of our disposable income on stuff, stuff that doesn't last. It means that we actually roughly save then 6% of what we can save. Let that sink in. Over 40% of American families spend more than they earn. 47% of Americans are carrying credit card debt. 22% of Americans have less than $5,000 saved for retirement. And as noted in the most recent Fed report that came out in May of this year, 25% of Americans couldn't cover an unexpected expense of $400. Those are indeed shocking stats, and we'll find some way to make those a little more digestible, so you can go back and review them, or you could just hit rewind on the live stream. Of course, intertwined in these numbers are a whole lot of factors, right? Race is a big issue that we see in these numbers, the disproportionate amount of money that is able to, that folks who are, um, you know, families of color that are able to save is, is far less than what white families are able to save. Of course, we know that there are weakening of uh, the spending power of wages. Money is, uh, we're, you know, our wages aren't keeping up with inflation. Um, healthcare costs are a huge issue, we know that. Um, but this is not just a matter of having a a lot of diverse kind of elements to saving in America. The truth is this is actually unique for America when we look at the entire world. We lag behind other countries in the world, um, and this isn't really a new problem, right? In the 50s and 60s and 70s, the world was kind of going in one direction in terms of what people were able to save. And then in the 80s, America just started tailspinning. And you can actually see this on the graph. As the world kind of tracks on this trajectory, America just shoots off and starts plummeting, right, in the 80s. And so we can't blame this just on us millennials, right? This is a cultural problem in America. We spend too much money on ourselves. We see this in the Gospels. It's evident, Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. It's the same story. It's in all of the Gospels. Variations on the same story, right? But essentially, this young man comes up to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, how do I find fulfillment? How can I be saved? Where, where, how can I, you know, possess joy? How, how can I live a happy life? And Jesus says, yeah, you know, just follow all the rules. Like, the rules are good. The law is good. Just, just follow the commandments, and you're good. And, and this young man says, you know, essentially, I, I've, I've done all those things, but I'm still missing something. And, uh, and the text tells us that Jesus kind of looked upon this man. He, he saw this man and all the stuff <laughs> he was carrying. And Jesus said, why don't you go sell all that stuff and then follow me. And then I'll teach you. The man takes a moment, I imagine, 
ponders it and essentially says no and walks away, the text tells us, grieving. Why? Because he had many possessions. Man had a lot of stuff, and I think what's so haunting about that text is, what would we do if we were confronted with the same choice? You know, there's this theme of money, because uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm 36 now, and so I guess it's time to start reading fi- about finance, and, you know, the term liquidity, right? How liquid is our cash, all right? It's this notion of it not being tied up in the market or uh, in real estate or in, um, in assets, right? We want to be able to get to it uh, in case we need it. Or we have an opportunity, we can meet it. Or if we have a need, we can uh, use our money there, right? This kind of liquidity of cash or money. Um, but I also think this theme of liquidity of life is really, really important when we talk about letting go of all of our stuff that just weighs us down. Liquidity of money is important, but so is this ability to be nimble in our own life. And so the question this morning is, how nimble are you? How nimble are you with your money? How nimble are you with your time or your energy? Have we become so accustomed to spending money on ourselves, on stuff, on furniture, on tech and gadgets, on uh, fancy gardens, right? Have we become so accustomed to spending so much money on ourselves that we have literally nothing left to give? How able are we to respond to either needs or opportunities with our time, with our energy, with our money? It's a question that I think we should ponder for a while. Are we saving some back in in hopes that we can respond to God well? Scripture often reveals our own problems to us, as we just see in the Gospel of Mark. The young man who grieves because he has a lot of stuff, some days that is truly me, no doubt. I also grieve because I recognize the tension that exists between my love of worldly possessions and my love of Jesus. But Scripture also does this awesome thing that if we spend enough time with Scripture, it begins to reveal a solution or opportunity uh, for us. Right? And the antidote to this spiritual problem of spending too much money on ourselves is cultivating a spiritual and holy discipline of contentment. Here's what Paul says about contentment in Philippians 4. A uh, little context, Paul's in prison. Paul has a wild life, highs and lows, right? And he's in prison, and and the Philippians send him some money, right? And this is what he says in Philippians 4. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned for me, but had no opportunity to show it. Not that I'm referring to being in need, for I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little. And I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need. And I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul reveals to us, I think, rather clearly that if we want to have happiness and we want to cultivate joy in our life, 
we must focus on what we have and not become disappointed in what we don't have. If we really want to be happy in this life, we must focus on what we have and not be disappointed in what we don't have. Data actually suggests this to be true, by the way. It's not just what we read in Philippians. It's also what science is beginning to tell us. It suggests that some of the happiest people are those with the least amount of money. We know that. Um, And we also realize that happiness in America, yes, it does increase as family households continue to make more money. And then something strange happens. Right around the $75,000 mark annually, right? Household income, happiness plateaus. You make 100K, you don't get any happier. 150K, you don't get any happier. 400K, you start to actually get less happy. So what we recognize in in this data is that there is some truth to what Paul is saying. Contentment isn't just good financial advice because we can save more if we are content, but it becomes a spiritual necessity because without contentment, we stunt rather significantly our own spiritual growth. In Hebrews, in the the 13th chapter, we hear this, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we then can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, not my bank account. I will not be afraid. What can anyone do to me? I think um, this cultivation of contentment in our life actually starts with doing some very practical things. John Wesley, right, practiced this practical piety, and so this is what I want to end us with this morning. I don't want to just tell you to cultivate contentment in your own life and then not try to figure out how to do that in my own life or within this community. And so here are three things, three keys to contentment. The first is this, if you don't need it, don't look at it, right? Seems rather simple, maybe a bit odd, but here's an example. The other day I was in a a particular phone carrier store because I was finally fed up with my previous phone carrier and I was switching plans and it was a whole mess and if you've done it, you know, right? And I was in there with my dad, and because I'm, we're getting on the family plan, try to like beat down the, the cost of cell phones. And um, I had this newer phone, but it wasn't the newest phone. Um, and, uh, and, you know, so they're typing stuff into the computer, doing whatever they do. Um, and going back to the back, talk to managers and yada, yada, yada. It felt like I was buying a car. So I had about 10 minutes there and I started perusing this store, right? And, and I was totally content with my own phone until I realized that there were indeed better phones out there. And I started to look at them. And before you know it, like really like five minutes or less, right? I had almost convinced myself that I actually needed this other phone because it was such a great deal and it was a better phone than the one I had, right? And it all started not because I walked into that store looking for a new phone, right? It's because when I was in that store, my eyes started to wander and I started to look at all the things that I don't have, right? And that's a dangerous cycle. Maybe a kind of a silly example, but I think it speaks to the, the, the depth and the, the, the danger uh, that we have when our eyes are wandering, right? Scripture shows us this too uh, time and time again, that if we don't remain focused, right, 
uh, we will kind of go off course. So if you don't need it, don't look at it. Number two, right, is spend time then looking in the opposite direction. Right? We, like I said in point one, we have a tendency to look at those things that are out in front of us. Adam and Eve, David and Bathsheba, right? The young man who leaves grieving, right? Can't really process by looking back. But what would it look like in our lives if we focused on what we do have instead of what we don't have? The physical stuff, sure, but also the relationships that we have, the opportunities we have, the freedom that we have. Contentment then hinges on being able to do these two things really, really well. And we can practice them. They are disciplines. We can actually get better at contentment when we, when we really are focused on not uh, paying attention to the things we don't need and looking in the opposite direction. But the third key is really the fuel that keeps us pursuing contentment day in and day out. And that is... Think about joy historically. Think about what has brought you joy over the years. Look, I'm a big fan of retail therapy because sometimes it works, right? And, uh, you know, 2020's been that type of year. uh, And so there are some things that I bought just because, well, I'm bored at home. And uh, I need a little pick-me-up, right? And obviously, uh, that's probably true for a lot of us because 99% of the world is kind of struggling right now financially. But there is 1% that's doing really, really well. If you want to see a company that's doing really, really well right now, just, just uh, go look at the current stock prices of Amazon, right? So we know that like, there is this drive within us to, to, in the moment, try to feed ourselves with more and more stuff to try to find joy. But if we actually apply this uh, key, right, think about joy historically, we come to realize that the happiest moment when we purchase something is when we click that buy now button, right? And then it begins to fade a little bit. That's because stuff doesn't have that long of a shelf life anymore. And because there's going to be new opportunities for new stuff, right? All the time. Last, uh, last week at dinner, um, we had this thing where we listened to vinyl records at dinner, and Cash was um, wanting to hear a trumpet song on, on, on a record. And, um, and I was like, man, this is a perfect time for me to buy that new Miles Davis album that I just I really wanted. Um, and, uh, and I realized then that Cash didn't want to wait two days to hear the trumpet song. He wanted the trumpet song now at dinner. And if I waited two days, he wouldn't even care, right? And so I was flipping through all my beat-up vinyl, and I found this really beat-up uh, Louis Armstrong uh, record, and I put it on, and, um, and immediately his eyes just lit up. And I realized something at that moment, right? That, yeah, I could have bought the new thing. I could have bought that vinyl that I really, really wanted. But the joy that exists when we actually pay attention to the relationships and the opportunities in front of us, that stuff's priceless. That stuff is priceless. Joy isn't truly found in our stuff, but it is found in our relationships This is how we continue to build a life of contentment because the stuff we buy historically fades away. When we recognize when we are the happiest and the most joyful, we realize uh, what is in front of us and the opportunity that exists and we begin to live a more content life. And when we are more content, we can save more. And guess what? When we save more, 
We can give more. This week, um, you will receive in the mail a letter and a pledge card. If you're one of our members or, or you're one of the really committed folks to our church um, and the work that we're doing. And um, I, I like preaching about money every year, and it's no surprise that when we preach about money, we also uh, do so with an annual giving campaign. Um, and, and the reason is this, because we want folks to, to really prayerfully uh, consider what they're giving, and we want, we want all of us, right, to practice generosity, practice what we are hearing and reading about and learning about and praying about. We want to actually put it into practice. That's why we're Methodist. And so this week you're going to have an opportunity. You're going to see a pledge card, and I ask that you just pray about it. I don't, I don't need to know right now what your number is going to be, what you're going to put down on that card for 2021. But I do know this, that as we begin to respond to God um, and we begin to be generous with what we have, right, it goes all the way back to week one, right? We've got to be comfortable earning money, and we've got to become really, really comfortable with saving money. Next week, we're going to talk about why giving our money away is maybe the most, one of the most important things we can do as a people of faith. But this week, you'll get a card. I want you to pray about it. If you have questions about the campaign, I want, you can reach out to me, um, and I will continue uh, to keep our church in, um, in my prayers as we do this holy work of giving our money away together. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.